Well, our scripture reading tonight comes from Isaiah chapter 9, um, and this is going to be God's word from verses 1 through 7. It's all God's word, but Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's read this together. It says this, but there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, uh, turmoil, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, I'm going to pray for today's message. Um, As I do that, I want to invite Pastor Levi to come up. Um, He's going to be sharing from God's word and and, and teaching us. Um, I get the privilege tonight to to listen, and uh, it's the first time since I've been in Korea um, for eight years, get to listen to a Christmas sermon. So I told him a few months ago, um, I'm going to enjoy it tonight, so it's on you. So I'm really looking forward to what God has laid on his heart. Um, actually, I already know it because I've gone through it, but, uh, <laughs> but um, really looking forward to it. But let me pray for, uh, for God's word to be taught in a way that's uplifting to him. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you again for this evening. Thank you for your word, your word that is living and active and breathing, uh, that has power uh, to transform hearts and lives. God, we believe, even now, uh, as we we open up your word, um, that you have uh, truth for us today. Um, Every time we open up your word, God, we we can depend on that. We can know that, that we're entering into a time of of truth, uh, because it's a time of knowing more about you. And so, God, tonight I pray that your word would go forward, um, that you would be with Pastor Levi as he shares with us this evening and that you would bless all of us. Um, change us from the inside out. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon, and Merry Christmas. My name is Levi. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here at Freedom Village Church. This is Pastor James' first time in eight years. I learned that. To sit and watch a Christmas sermon. This is my first time in 27 years that I will preach a Christmas sermon. 
Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, speak to us now. May the meditations of all our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, one of the things so remarkable about Christmas um, is that it's the only season, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only season, culturally speaking, where it has its own genre of music. I mean, like when somebody says, let's listen to some Christmas music, we generally know what they're talking about, you know. I mean, have you ever heard some, let's listen to some Halloween music? I mean, there is, right? But it's not culturally accepted as a genre of music, but Christmas music is. And then, then you have this spectrum of people. You have, uh, you know, some people in October, it's Christmas music time, okay, whoever those people are. Then you got, you know, then it gets to November, and then some families are, like, kicking it into gear. You know, okay, now it's okay. Okay, but only for the kids, all right? <laughs> None of the serious. And then, and then we start to get to Thanksgiving, and now, okay, okay, tree is up for some, and now it's time to really, some, some people are looking at me, and they're like, No. December, all right, now I got it, okay. Some people are December uh, Christmas music listeners. All, it's all fine. Um, we can disagree and still be friends. Um, and there are different types of Christmas songs. You have your classic hymns, Silent Night, and others such as that. And then you have what I like to call the um, seasonal cultural songs. Uh, songs like Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, uh, My Least Favorite. No, 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 no. I'm about to say My Least Favorite. <laughs> Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is a jam. Stop. Okay. Rockin' Around a Christmas Tree, comma, continuing. Um, all I Want for Christmas. That's, okay, now we understand a little better. Um, then there's this one. I think it's Stevie Wonder. Correct me if I'm wrong. What Christmas Means to Me. What Christmas means to me, my love. Everyone's like, no. Okay, from there. Well, Pastor Kerry, next Not So Silent Night, sign me up. That's the one I'm singing. Um, that is a joke. All right. We'll get through this. What Christmas means to me. And, and so, the lyrics of that song, because what the author is doing, which I believe is Stevie Wonder, I hope I stated that correctly. What he's doing is he's telling you what Christmas means to him. All right. And that, that's helpful. And, and here's, here are some of the lyrics. Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice, everywhere we go. Choir singing carols right outside my door. That's what Christmas means to me, my love. I read it as if it was something really deep and then you're listening and you're like, huh? <laughs> but the, the point is, it's, it's all about this feel-good nature of Christmas, the snow, the mistletoe, the carols. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But by the end of the song, you do realize what Christmas means to Stevie Wonder slash John Legend, who played it afterwards. It's, it's about a feeling. It's happy. It's upbeat. It's very Instagrammable. It's the Christmas card with the family, even the dog in the Santa hat in front of the barn on the farm, that they don't live on, but they visit to get that family picture once a year. It's all a feeling. It's very supernatural. It's, it's actually not supernatural. It's very natural. 
It's earthy even. But what if the meaning of Christmas is actually much darker? What if Christmas isn't to highlight the joys of life, but to shine light on the darkness of it? See, in the Bible, Christmas comes not on the triumphant shoulders of our put-together life, but it shines into the gloom of the darkness we can't get ourselves out of. And and what Christmas means to our Christmassy culture can actually be quite different than what it means in the scriptures. And just like our music, uh, Christmas is split between two groups of people. There are those that enjoy it because, I mean, what, what, what is there not to enjoy about Christmas? It's great. And then there are those who need it because it speaks of a hope beyond this world that came into this world to change this world. And it's the difference ultimately in where our hope lies, in ourselves and our feelings or in God and his promises. So I think I'm going to ask the question that Stevie Wonder answers for himself. What does Christmas mean to you? To the prophet Isaiah, since we're in that text today, it meant hope. The hope of a child shining light in the darkness. And as we continue today, we can really summarize this text uh, in this way. For those of you, I know that we have the kids here today. I'm so excited about that. That is phenomenal. Um, Maybe, could be that this is the first time you're hearing a sermon or somebody stand up here. Um, Just just so you're aware, and Pastor James read this, as we go through the Bible, we believe that this is God's word. Therefore, God is speaking to us as we read, as we learn. So we take this time very seriously as we look at God's word. And a way that this text can be summarized, uh, it can be summarized like this. The hope of Christmas described in verses 1 through 3, and then the hope of Christmas explained in verses 4 through 7. So verses 1 through 3 sort of shows you, here's what this hope is going to bring to us. And then in verses 4 through 7, here's what that hope really looks like in verses 4 through 7. So first, we're going to start the hope of Christmas described in verses 1 through 3. And basically, the hope of Christmas is described as a light in the darkness. Uh, And we're going to see that here. And the context of that light in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 is the darkness of the circumstances of God's people. See, they were facing judgment. Uh, In verse 1, Isaiah talks about gloom, anguish, contempt. And so where do these words come from? Well, God's people are in trouble. The, The great nation of Assyria was threatening to attack, and they were being sent because God's people were unfaithful to God. They were rebelling against him. And so God, in judgment, is sending them uh, to the people of Israel. And we know about the Assyrians. They were brutal. They were known for their brutality. So so this really is one of the lowest points in Israel's history, uh, where where we find Isaiah chapter 9. Because the Assyrians were coming. Ultimately, as God's judgment on the nation for their unfaithfulness. But what we're going to see is that even in the midst of the judgment, Even in the midst of the darkness, deep darkness is what our text says, actually. Isaiah had a word from God to the faithful remnant. And that word was about a light coming in the darkness. Not all was lost. Circumstances weren't good, but 
No need to be consumed with worry because God was at work. And that's what we see here in Isaiah chapter 9. It's a great light because it's a deep darkness. And therefore, this light is shining through even the circumstances that they're going through here. And what's significant about verse 1 is that it starts with this word, but, or however. And, and it's a great word in the Bible because it comes in all the right times, doesn't it? I mean, God, God, often we see something terrible explained by God, usually because of sin, rebelling against him, and then God often follows it with this, but, or however. And, and, and I think that just reveals his heart. We're unfaithful, but God is faithful. We're sinful, but God saves sinners. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. In the former time, there was gloom, but in the latter time, there is glory. We are in darkness, but light is coming. And that's, that's really the gospel, bound up in this conjunction, this connecting word, but or however. And that's what we're seeing here in chapter 9. We're seeing this connection, this continuation. There is darkness, but God is stepping onto the scene in his grace and in his mercy. In one of the darkest moments in Israel's history, but the hope of this great light breaks through. And now we get to verse 2, and we get a further description of this light, what this light is going to bring to us or bring to the people of Israel. So we'll read that in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So notice that it's not just that they see the darkness, but they're in it, right? They're in a deep darkness. And so, so who are these people that are in the darkness? Well, verse 1 says that it's those in the land of, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. So quick geography lesson. You have Israel, then you have mountains, and then you have sea. Right? So a lot of times when enemy nations would come to invade Israel, they would come in through the north. And that's where Galilee was. And the other two nations mentioned, uh, the other two tribes mentioned in verse 1, Naphtali and Zebulun. So they would come in through the north, and then they would attack. So, so if you were Galilean, you didn't just have a bad day. You had a pretty tough life. Because that's where the enemies were coming to attack. If they were going to invade, generally speaking, they're coming through the north. So Isaiah is saying hope would come first to those in those days who suffered most. Those who took the brunt of every invasion would be the first to see the light dawning out ahead. And as we look in the New Testament, we learn, Matthew chapter 4, where does Jesus begin his ministry? In Galilee. So those walking in darkness found themselves ushered into the light of Christ. Jesus went to Galilee first. And Matthew even says that this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah continues to describe this light. And he says in verse 3, Isaiah says that the light spreads. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. Uh, this remnant in God's care grows and grows, and, and I think when you look in prophecy in the Old Testament, there are times uh, when there are dual fulfillments. You see a spiritual fulfillment, then you see um, a complete fulfillment later, and I think, I think we have that here. 
where we see that this, this nation would grow. And in the New Testament, we find in the book of Acts and in the Gospels that Jesus is coming for more than just the Jews, right? This hope is for more than just the Jews. And then we get to Revelation chapter 7, and, we, and it reads this, verses 9 through 10. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So way back, I want you to remember, Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. God promises Abraham that he would multiply his nation, he would multiply his children into a nation of people. So from Abraham to the New Testament where we start to find out, oh, this isn't just for the Jews, to Revelation where there's all tribes, nations, and tongues. God is keeping his promise throughout. And, and, and as we move on here, God takes a suffering mem- uh, remnant and grows it into a global kingdom, a, gro- a global movement. And so here we also see that as the light spreads, uh, so does joy. As the light spreads, I believe this is still in verse 3, uh, the gloom and darkness is replaced by joy and rejoicing. Yes, it is in verse 3. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And and Isaiah here explains this joy using two metaphors. First, of a farmer. Um, And and back then, you even had less means of controlling the environment, right? So if if a crop was fruitful, this was great reason to rejoice, right? If bugs were coming in, if there were any sort of drought, this was even a bigger deal back then than it is today. And, And then he uses the metaphor of a soldier, And this metaphor explains victory in battle. But notice that in either instance, throughout this text, they didn't, the people of Israel, didn't do anything to achieve this. They didn't accomplish it through their hard work. In fact, they didn't have a hand in it at all. Now notice the first two phrases of verse 3. They begin with you. You have multiplied the nation You have increased its joy. All the activity is on God's side. God does it, and his people rejoice. God plants, and his people harvest. God, in grace, wins the prize for them. And those of us who are in Christ know, and I think I'll say say this. I think this, at least for myself, when when I see spiritual um, victories, Uh, Let's say maybe in a gathering like this, we see growth numerically or spiritually, or maybe in my family, if there's spiritual growth. When When I read that this hope, this light is all God's doing, not theirs, I I think to myself, what is my response to spiritual victory? Is it, man, we got some good programs here at FVC. (laughs) Y'all should be a part of it. (laughs) Is it, man, I'm... I'm a pretty good dad. I just started, but it's not true, using this as, a, as an example, right? Or is it, when we see spiritual victory, God is at work? It's him doing it, right? He's the only one that can do it. And I think we see that here. The reason that this is such a great light is because in the midst of their unfaithfulness, they're messing up, God is saying, I'm still at work. I'm still faithful. 
And those of us who are in Christ know because we're talking about God's kingdom increasing and as it increases, so does joy. Those of us in Christ know that the more Christ we have in our lives, the closer we are to him, the more joy that is accessible to us. Um, Those circumstances are dark. Stay close to Jesus. Follow him. Look at him in the scriptures. Pray to him. There is joy found in walking with Jesus. And in Christ, there is joy. there's, There's peace. There's hope. Hope of eternal life. All given to us as a gift. Again, not our doing, but his doing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. It's his doing. There's nothing we could do in order to gain favor with the Father. Nothing we could do in order to be saved on our own merit. So God's people walked in darkness, deep darkness. This was one of the lowest points in Israel's history. But The hope of Christmas shines bright beyond their circumstances. That's what we see here as as we look through the hope of Christmas described. And now the hope of Christmas explained in verses 4 through 7. Admittedly, we're probably going to get to verse 6. So the hope of Christmas explained verses 4 through 7 or 6. So in in the first three verses, we saw what that hope would bring, what it would uh, bring to us, and now we see a detailed explanation of who that hope actually is, who that light actually is. And in verses four, five, and six, it begins with another connecting word, for. Or in other words, here's how the hope just described is coming. For, and so in verse four, we'll start there. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod for his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. And and what God is doing here through the prophet Isaiah is illustrating for us uh, the kind of surprising victory he's going to achieve through this light. Uh, Because if if you know your Bible, Midian, we recognize that from the story of Gideon. Uh, And we know uh, it's in Judges chapter 6. And, and if you know anything about Gideon, you know that he was an unlikely hero. Um, Gideon was a judge in Israel during the time when the Midians were oppressing Israel. And a judge was someone that would defend Israel on Israel's behalf. So Midian is, is oppressing Israel, and, and then you get this guy named Gideon. But the first time you see him, uh, the first we see of him, he's beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord came to him, and he said this, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's almost humorous. Mighty men of valor don't hide from their enemies. And when Gideon finally got around to obeying God's command to fight, God first scaled his army back from 32,000 to 300. So first he chooses Gideon, an unlikely hero in the story, and then scales back the army, and I'm sure in his mind, the only chance he has for victory, to 300. And so what is God doing there? To prove that this was the Lord's battle. Now, he can win against impossible odds. Gideon shouldn't have won, but his little army in God's mighty hands caused such a panic that the Gideons started to kill each other. 
And that's the kind of miraculous victory that God, through the prophet Isaiah, is trying to bring to their minds here. It's going to be that kind of surprising. It's going to be that kind of miraculous, and maybe even more. But he won't stop there. Verse 5, he continues. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. So God will not only win the war, but eventually he will end war itself. Uh, The warrior will no longer need his boots. There will be no garments rolled in blood. It will be put to an end. And how will it be put to an end? Not by their strength, not by our strength, but by his strength. Uh, This victory is not their accomplishment. It's not our accomplishment, but but it's his. And we celebrate his victory. We celebrate what he has done. And that's that's a part of what Christmas is. And then we get to verse 6. And this is really the climax of the entire text. And you could say the climax of the entire scriptures in a certain sense. And what we find finally is, is the answer to all that has ever made us afraid. Every anxiety we've carried, every fear we've nursed, every difficulty we've faced, every sin we've struggled with is answered in one single person, and it's a child. Now look at verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. I hope we never grow tired of putting Jesus at the center of everything we do, say, think, and feel. Because you could just read that and walk away changed. And it's not what we expect, is it? It's not what we should expect. I understand we celebrate Christmas year to year. But as you read through the biblical narrative and then you read Isaiah 9, They're in deep darkness, and he's saying there's this great light that's going to give them hope. They're reading verses 1 through 3. They're like, wow, this is going to be joy-filled. It's going to be ever-increasing. And then he said, for to us, a child. What? what, what What is God doing here? Because really, there's nothing in this world weaker than a human child. No offense. Got the kiss. Okay. Baby. Okay. No, no, think about it. There are There are animals. I'm not like an animal fanatic, but like if you think of a sea turtle, aren't they like hatched on the shore? And then instantly they're put into like this life and death situation on their way to the, to the sea, right? But a baby child sits in a crib. When it needs milk, when it needs to be self-sustaining, it cries. Sleeping, and babies sleep for like 20 hours a day. Of course, not in a row, because that would be far too convenient. (laughs) But a child is utterly vulnerable. Anything could happen, and it would have no defense. And how is it that when when God came to wage war on sin, it was a child? Well, what is God doing? And, And I think in part, obviously it's not just any child, but in part he's overturning our expectations. Because God often works in such a way that weakness overcomes power, that, that foolishness overcomes wisdom. A child defeats all evil. It's an unlikely, improbable, and incredible story. And when everything else in this world fails, 
When all our best laid plans are found wanting, when we've reached the very end of what we can do, when we are distant from God because of sin, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. There is a baby in a manger to set it all right. And we like to think, at least I do, that we're strong and mighty, capable of conquering it all on our own, at least collectively. But it turns out that God doesn't need us at all. We need him. And in this child, we have him. The baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And also notice here that this promise, this prophecy, is written as if it has come. Right, so prophecy is a prediction. Maybe a prediction is too questionable. It's a foreseeing, right, of things to come. Uh, but, but as we read through this, this prophecy, uh, we, we see here that it's written in such a way that it's already come to pass. And, and I think that's why even more so, this is a great light in the midst of their great darkness because it's not a maybe from God. It, it's an assurance It's as sure as if it's already happened. And God is saying to them, and I think to us as well, that their hopeful future in the Messiah is already complete. The victory is already won. In their darkness, brought about by their unfaithfulness, the light in that darkness is his faithfulness. And faithfulness to what he has said, what he's spoken. And this is really true of all of God's promises, isn't it? Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. These are as sure as if They have already happened. He is faithful to what he has said. And and here in our text, to the people of Israel, God isn't asking them for anything. He's telling them what's coming. All they had to do was see it by faith. And the eye of faith sees what God is doing behind the difficult circumstances. It sees the light in the darkness. And we have two options even today. We can look at our world, seeing darkness, look at our own lives, seeing darkness, Find only hopelessness and conclude that God has forgotten us. Or we can look at our present darkness and remember God's past mercy, his present grace, and his future promise. Uh, Because even behind the darkest night stands the bright light who is Jesus Christ. That was true then and that is true today. And Isaiah, Isaiah also says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now what does that mean? It means first uh, that the government of this world doesn't ultimately land on us but on Jesus because he is Lord of Lords and he is King of Kings. He rules and reigns over all. But of course, when power is centralized, we become suspicious. Can I trust Jesus? Does he know what he's doing? Can we trust this leader? What kind of government will he bring? I'm glad you asked. Because Isaiah answers. And Isaiah tells us that Jesus will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. 
Jesus governs with wisdom. We aren't his counselor, he is ours. Jesus governs with strength. He's not just any child, he's also mighty God. Jesus governs as a father. He cares for us with the affection of a tender father. Jesus governs in peace, peace at every level, peace with God and peace with others. I love how one theologian, uh, pastor out of Tennessee puts it. He says this. As a wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. Really, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 is the story of how God wins our salvation for us. Some of our lives are hard, really hard. All of our sin is great, really great. Our need is immense. It's so immense. But God's grace in Jesus is greater still than all of those things. We, we will never reach the limit of his strength. We will never exhaust the storehouses of his grace. We will never out his patience. We will never run so far that he can't find us. We will never fail so hard that he can't redeem us. We will never fall so deep he can't rescue us. Every single moment, and I think if we've been with Christ, we, we know of Christ, we know this to be true, that, that every single moment with Jesus is better than the last. He will increase, and we will be with him enjoying his increase. And, and, and here's really the amazing thing of this, of this entire text, and that is that God's people are not the subject of any of the verbs. Uh, God is. God is doing this. Um, he's doing it without their help and without our help. He's doing it for their good. They couldn't do it even if they tried. And, this is, and really, because this is, the only, this is the kind of thing that only God can do. And Christmas time is a time to remember God loves to do for his people what they cannot do for themselves. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were destined for eternity separated from God. We were found wanting in our pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction in this world. We were hopelessly living for what will soon fade. But because of what he has done, we are made alive in Christ. Because of what he has done, we are promised life eternal. There is satisfaction in him. There is purpose and meaning found in a life with him. There is hope in the kingdom he has established. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And through that son he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So, so here's what Christmas ultimately means. The promise of a light shining in the darkness, a child given to us. And today if you feel that darkness, if you're weary and you need rest, if you mourn and you long for comfort, if you feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, if you fail and you desire strength, if you sin and you need a savior, uh, this light, this great light, as shown on our banner, that light is for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And, and if maybe you've been distant from that light for some time, you call yourself a believer, but you've been distant, um, we'd like to invite you um, after the candlelight service that we're about to have here, a couple of pastors will be in the front. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, maybe if you've never put your faith in that light, put your faith in Jesus Christ, um, and, and you've never believed, 
that, that he came 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserved, and rose again so that you could have life eternal. And for the first time today, you, you, you think, maybe I do believe that. We'd love to talk through that with you. We'd love to explain the gospel further to you. Um, so you'll have that opportunity um, after the candlelit service here today. But let's close in prayer, and then we'll continue our service together.